Welcome, everyone. We are so glad that you are joining us this weekend at Faith Code Church, whether you're at home, whether uh, you're with your family or whatever. You might not be here at Faith Code Campus, but we're still His church. I want to remind you, we can get through anything as long as we stay committed and as long as we stay connected. Remember stay, to stay connected if you're not a part of our weekend or a part of our weekly emails. Go to faithco.church. Sign up for our weekly updated emails. Another thing that you might want to do is, is make sure your kids are a part of our Faith Co. kids and Faith Co. students every single week that they meet and uh, they, they meet online. Make sure they're a part of that. Don't forget about Thursday Night Live. We'll be saying something a little bit more about that here a little bit later. So make sure you just stay connected. Hey, and I want to thank you for your continued generosity. You guys are stepping up, giving, tithes, offerings, whatever. Thank you for your generosity. We are able to continue ministry because of your generosity. I'll say it again. We can get through anything as long as we stay committed and as long as we stay connected. Well, I want to continue a series that I'm calling God Moments. What that is is basically people who encountered God through his son, Jesus. They were special moments. They were God moments. What did they do in those moments? Did they recognize it? Were they wise to it? Or did it slip through their hands? What did they do in their God moments? And what can we learn from them? Let's begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for bringing us here. I ask, Lord, that as we gather today, we remember that, that your church grows stronger no matter what we face. That is the nature of your church. Bless us today to receive from you, and may we never miss a God moment in our lives because we're distracted. In Christ's name, and everybody said, I want you to look at your neighbor and say, uh, you're not supposed to be laying down. Get up off that couch, sit up standing. No, I'm just kidding. This is, this is kind of the nature of, of church at home that you can just kind of lounge around. I'm just so glad you're joining us. Today I want to talk to you about one of the most controversial stories, probably one of the most controversial encounters that Jesus ever faced. That when Jesus spoke to a certain woman, it was very, very controversial. And yet, if you look a little bit deeper, it is one of the most powerful God moments in all of the Bible. And that's in Matthew, the 15th chapter and the 21st verse. Go there if you have your Bible or however you read your Bible. It says, and then Jesus, then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of, of Tyre and Sidon. A Gentile, or one translation says, uh, a Canaanite woman. The, here's the thing that you need to remember is that she was just an outsider. She was a non-Hebrew person. She says, a Gentile, says here, a Gentile woman who lived there came to him pleading, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David, for my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. But Jesus gave her no reply, not even one word. Then his disciples urged him to send her away. Tell her to go away, they said. She is bothering us with all of her begging. Then Jesus said to the woman, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. But she came and worshipped him, pleading again, Lord, help me. And Jesus responded, it isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. She replied, that's true, Lord, but even dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath the master's table. Dear woman, Jesus said to her, your faith is great. Your request is granted. 
and her daughter was instantly healed. I want to tell you, at first glance, Jesus' response is just a little bit disturbing. Would you agree with that? I mean, if you look at this and take it for its face value, this is a little bit troubling. So I decided to go a little bit deeper because I really feel like I know, I know what Jesus is doing. And I've read this several times. I really feel like I have a handle on this. But I wanted to go a little bit deeper because of what people might believe about this situation. So while researching this story and going through my, uh, my usual uh, uh, you know, commentaries or whatever, I found some, uh, some commentaries online and one particular opinion from one minister of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. Uh, her response was this. I, I want to read this to you in, in quotes. It says, this story in Matthew 15 is very troubling. A Canaanite woman cries out to Jesus to heal her daughter, and by the end of the story, her daughter has been healed. But between the crying and the healing, Jesus says some terrible things. He's arrogant, racist, and just plain mean. Then she goes on to say later, she says, Jesus was converted that day to a larger vision of the commonwealth of God. Jesus saw and heard a fuller revelation of God in the voice and in the face of the Canaanite woman. Well, first of all, wow. But second of all, I really feel like this contributor to this article. I really feel like she's stretching to establish her opinion. And I just want to say that that, that can be dangerous. When you, when you have an opinion or you want to establish who Jesus is, and then you kind of back that up with non-contextual passages in Scripture, I really feel like that's what's happened. What I feel like is in her attempt to humanize Jesus, she misses the whole point, if I, if I can just say that. But for just for argument's sake, I just want to ask a question. So was Jesus arrogant with, with racist overtones and was he mean to a woman that was suffering and was desperate? Or is it really possible that in fact Jesus was not caught off guard in this moment? Is it possible that he wasn't enlightened and surprised by a Gentile woman's response? And in fact, he had a purpose behind what he was trying to do. To, to answer that question, again, let's, let me first establish some truths and separate those from the fallacies that people might believe because sometimes we believe things in Scripture that might not be true. Well, first of all, let's, let's look at this because when you don't know what Jesus is trying to do or what he's thinking, sometimes you got to look at what he did in usual times. Let's look at this. Nowhere else in Scripture do we see Jesus caught off guard because of somebody's statement. Now, we do see him taken back by the lack of faith of some people. And we see him, you know, he'll step back and say, wow, he had these kind of aha or wow moments because of great faith. But nowhere in Scripture is Jesus speechless or caught off guard or corrected by somebody else. I mean, and nowhere else do we see that Jesus needed a revelation and received that from somebody that was passing by. And nowhere else do we see that Jesus needed to be corrected but because he was talking down to somebody in a different culture. We see that nowhere else in Scripture passages. In fact, we see the opposite. For example, the woman at the well who was a Samaritan, a non-Jewish person, she was actually shocked and surprised that Jesus actually spoke to her and showed her such love and acceptance. 
And then another passage, remember the story about the Good Samaritan. The reason that's so significant is because he was talking to Pharisees when he was saying, okay, a a scribe went by and a Levi walked by and nobody helped this, this fellow Jewish person except this one Samaritan man. That was a slap in the face of the Pharisees. So it's possible that Jesus, because some people might say this, well, okay, I get that, but is it possible that Jesus was having a bad day? Because Mark tells us that, that Jesus was, you know, there's, there's two occurrences of this. It's in Matt, I'm reading from Matthew's gospel, but Mark also records this passage, and Mark gives us a little bit different perspective. He says that Jesus was actually trying to get away and spend time with his disciples, So as he's trying to get away, he didn't tell anybody whose house he was staying in. He was trying to hurry up and get there. He goes in there. Nobody knows he's there. This lady finds out. So is it possible that Jesus is annoyed by this woman and he's having a bad day? So he says these things. Because I've heard people say that. I've heard people say before, well, you know, he is human. And that is true. But do we see him lashing out at people and saying these kinds of statements? Nowhere in Scripture do we, do, do we see him doing this. Wait a minute. There is that one moment where he goes into the temple and he sees the money changers and he sees people mistreated and he sits down and he makes a what? A whip. He hand makes a whip and the Bible says he jumps up and he starts screaming and yelling and running everybody out of the temple, knocking over tables. Well, maybe Jesus was having a bad day then. I don't know. Was he? The only thing is... Later, the disciples read that he was actually fulfilling prophecy. And the the prophecy was, zeal for your house has consumed me. Maybe Jesus wasn't having a bad day. Maybe, in fact, he was fulfilling prophecy and he was also making a statement to everyone about the significance about the house of the Lord. Here's the point. If Jesus made reckless and angry comments like this and because he was having a bad day or because... He was, he was angry at somebody or whatever. He was emotional because he was having a moment or he didn't like some people because they weren't like him. We would have seen this more often in Scripture passages, but we see it nowhere else. So the real deal is, and this is what I believe, that Jesus was having a special moment here. I mean, think about this. Here's the, here's the real deal. Jesus didn't do everything the same way every single time he did it. For example, Jesus didn't heal everybody the same way. Sometimes when he healed people, he didn't even touch them. He just spoke to them, get up, take up your mat and walk, and he didn't even touch them. Sometimes the people that were untouchable, the lepers, he actually reached out and touched them to make a statement. He healed them differently. Some people, they weren't healed in that moment. Some people were healed from different cities. Hey, she's healed. I know she's not here, but she's at her house and she's healed right now. He had no contact with that person. Other times, like with the 10 lepers, he said, they said, will you heal us? He said, well, actually, go your way. Just turn around and walk. And go visit the Pharisees and show them. And the Bible says they weren't healed in that moment. But as they turned and walked, they were healed. That was something very different. Get this. Another time, there was a blind man. And Jesus knelt down on the ground, spit in the mud, made mud, and wiped this guy's eyes with mud. And then he says, can you see? Uh, Well, things are a little bit blurry. Okay, well, go wash out your eyes. And as he washed out his eyes, he could see. Jesus didn't always teach the same way. Sometimes he taught in riddles. 
And he didn't explain. Sometimes he taught in parables and nobody knew what he was talking about. And then he had to go back in the back. And the disciples said, can you tell us a little bit about what was going on? And he says, it's not for them. It's only for you. Sometimes he answered questions with questions. And sometimes when he answered questions with questions, you still didn't get an answer. One time he told the Pharisees, they, they said, what authority are you saying these things? He says, okay, I'll, t- I'll answer that question with this question. If you'll answer my question, then I'll answer your question. And they'll, they said, well, we're not answering your question. He says, well, I'm not answering your question. And he walked off. He didn't do everything, and he's not going to do everything the way he thinks that we should. You can never know the complete mind of Christ. Here's the deal. I believe that Jesus would sometimes use moments like these, God moments, healing moments, to not only minister to people, but also he would use healing moments as teachable moments because he knew that his disciples needed to learn something. I'm going to show you that here in just a second. But the last thing that he would ever do was misjudge a suffering mother. That's the last thing that he would do. So since we don't ever see Jesus react in this manner, then it leads us to believe that there was something special about this God moment. He was doing something bigger, and he was doing something better, and he never, he never explained it. But I believe that he was doing something very, very special in the life of this woman and the life of his disciples. And I believe for this woman, this was a once-in-a-lifetime moment that she wasn't going to miss. But here's the deal, and this is, I'm going to spend my rest, the rest of my time here, that if, in order for her to experience this God moment, in order for her to experience the, the healing of her suffering daughter, she was going to have to get over or get past a few things. I want you to know something. If you're going to experience the God moments in your life, you're going to have to get over a few things. Are you with me? You got, look at your neighbor and say, you got to get over it. Whatever it is, whatever it is that, and, and I'm going to explain this to you, but whatever would keep you from experiencing your God moments, this lady had a lot of things to get past and get over in order for her to experience her God moments. Let me show you this. She had to get over first being offended. Would you agree with that? She had to get past that because what do I mean by that? She had to get past being offended what people were saying, what the disciples were saying about her. Listen to this. The 23rd verse says, Jesus gave her no reply, not even one word. And the disciples urged him, send her away. What? The disciples were walking, oh, Lord, send her away. Why? Tell her to go away. Tell her to get, Jesus. Tell her to go away. Why? Because she is bothering us with her begging. Listen to what they're saying. Can you see that there's an attitude that needs to be addressed here? This woman is walking along pleading and begging. And I don't think that Jesus was ignoring her. And, you know, I, don't, I think she might have actually been outside the house. I don't think he was doing this because he was annoyed. I think that he really wanted to address something that needed to be addressed. Tell her to go away. Why? Because she is annoying us with her begging. Why is she begging? Because her daughter is possessed. And nobody cares. You know, many people miss out on God moments, life-changing moments, because they get offended by what people say. Now, here's the deal. I believe that Jesus was doing a work not only in her life, but also in the disciples. And we'll see that here in just a second. 
But in order for her to experience her God moment, she had to not get offended by what was said. And that could not have been easy. Do you know sometimes truth offends? And there were some truths here, but, but truth can offend. Truth is offensive because it challenges us where we are. I believe that our American culture is probably one of the most, one of the most easily offended cultures on the planet. Would you agree with that? Our, our culture is so easily offended. Offended people, here's the deal, if, if people react to be offended the way they do, and a lot of times people just quit and walk off, if people react that way, people miss out on life, and people miss out on life because they quit worthwhile causes. Man, I want to go, man, I want to go on a mission trip. Okay, you can go on a mission trip, but you got to submit to his authority and you have to make sure you do whatever he says. You got to make sure you get up, make sure you're on the bus, make sure you wear what you're supposed to wear over in this third world country. Well, I ain't doing that. Well, you have to or you can't go. Well, I'll just quit. Well, I listen, I I want to be on the praise and worship team. Okay, well, you want to be on the praise and worship team. We have a little bit of a dress code, not a big one, but one of the things is guys don't wear flip-flops. What? That's ridiculous. I'm a hippie. You know what I'm saying? Well, I, don't, I, I don't know, man. No, we don't, no, I'm not going to be a part of the worship team. I mean, think about that. Hey, I'm going to, I want God's best for my life. I really want to walk in victory. Well, I want to tell you something. It's going to challenge your lifestyle. You might have to think about your lifestyle, the way you live, what you do on weekends. You might have to start changing in order, you know, because God's not going to bless disobedience. And then you get up on Sunday morning and the preacher addresses a lifestyle and offends you. I'm quitting church. I'm not listening to that. You know what? Offended people miss out on God's best because they can't take the challenge of the change of the truth. Amen? In churches today, I wonder, and I'm, I'm, if I can, I want to talk to pastors for a second. And when I say I talk to pastors, I want to tell you I'm talking to myself. In churches today, I, this is a struggle that pastors have. I wonder how much truth is compromised at the altar of offense. I, I wonder who today, all over the nation, is not going to hear the life-changing truth because we as pastors don't want to deal with what people might feel if they walk away offended. I wonder, I wonder who's not going to hear life-changing truth from our stages because we don't want people to walk away offended. It's a pastor's struggle. I struggle with it, if I can be honest. I, but listen, the worst thing is not that people will quit my church. I have to establish that. The worst thing that can happen today is if people walk away from church and not hear the truth. That's the worst thing. Not whether or not people are offended. That's what Jesus is teaching me. The more I read the New Testament or the, or the Gospels, is that I can't worry about people uh, being offended as much as I need to worry about me speaking the truth, the Scripture. As pastors and teachers, we will, we're, we're not going to be held accountable for attendance records. That's not what I'm going to be held accountable for. As a pastor, I'm not even going to be held accountable for salvations. I'm not going to be held accountable for, for, for people who quit church. That's not what I'm held accountable. But listen to me, pastor, if you're listening to me, if you're not preaching right now. You're, you will be. I will be held accountable for people that walked into my environment, into my church, and did not hear the truth because I was afraid of offending them. 
So let me say right now, let me apologize if I ever offend anybody in the house for my opinion. I know that I can do that sometimes. Sometimes I'll say the wrong thing. Sometimes I'll stick my foot in my mouth. Sometimes I just blow it. So let me just say that right now. I will offend you at some point with my opinions. I I don't mean to do that. It just happens that way sometimes. However, if it is the words of the Bible that offends, I can't apologize for that because that means that God loves you so much that he will confront you to change your lifestyle so he can take you from where you are to wherever he wants you to be. The question is, what is your reaction to being offended? May I be faithful as a servant of God that delivers the words even if they are offensive. You know, Jesus didn't hold back from telling the truth, even if it offended people. In John 6 and 60, he says, many of his disciples said, man, this is a hard saying. You just have to go back and read it. I don't have to get into all, I don't have time to get into all this. Many of his disciples left him that day. He looked at the 12 and says, does this also offend you? Then he goes on to explain it in the 63rd verse. He says, the spirit alone gives eternal life. Human efforts accomplishes nothing. What he was saying here, they had no way of grasping it. But from that moment, many, many people left him except for the 12. The the hundreds of people that walked away, the disciples that walked away from Jesus that day, they walked off. And you know what Jesus did? I'll tell you what he didn't do. He didn't run after them and apologize. Say, no, 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 you need to understand what I'm trying to say. He let them walk. But the 12 who decided that they would not be offended, Peter was one of them, said, Lord, you have the words to eternal life. We refuse to be offended. You can offend us all you want. We ain't going nowhere. And I'm telling you today that if you want to experience the fullness of the blessings of God in your life, if you want to experience the God moments of your life, you have to have this mentality, I refuse to be offended. You can't offend me out of my blessings from God. And I believe that this is exactly the attitude that this woman had. Another thing that this woman had to get over is not only being offended, but also being rejected, which is how people not only were talking or saying about her, but how people were treating her. In Matthew 15 and 24, it says, Then Jesus said to the woman, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. But she came and worshipped him. She ignored that. That felt like a rejection, but she ignored it. And worshipped him, pleading again and again and again, Lord, help me. And Jesus said, Jesus responded, it isn't right to take food from the children and throw it back to, throw it to the dogs. At first, this seems harsh. You know why? Because it is. But notice this, that not one time did Jesus ever say no. He never said no. He just said something that, that necessitated a response. But here's what I want you to note also, that she had a predetermined response for being rejected. If you, if you pay attention to it, she actually had an answer immediately for Jesus' statement. Uh, it's almost like she didn't even have to think about it. She had a predetermined response. And I wasn't there, but it happened so fast that I believe she had a predetermined response. How? I don't know how. Maybe, maybe you know, just imagine with me she's in her house and, and she's thinking to herself, knowing how Jews feel about her, 
Knowing how the Hebrew nation felt about her, they look at us like dogs. And she's, maybe she's feeding her daughter over there, and that daughter's sitting at a table. And, and maybe she thinks to herself, you know what? And she sees the dog run under the table, and, and she says, you know what? That dog doesn't need to be in here, but she, oh, it's okay if he eats from under the table. And she, she gets this moment of faith. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. That would be a good response to Jesus. Even though they think I'm a dog, uh, listen, man, I, I can still get a scrap from underneath the table. I don't know. I don't know how she came to that faith moment, but I do know this. She had the right response for that moment. What is your predetermined response for rejection? A lot of people don't have a plan for rejection. If you get rejected, it's game over. We leave. Successful people, I don't care what you do in life, successful people have a predetermined response for rejection. The disciples knew that Jesus was sent only to the Jews. They had a sense, if you can see this, they had a sense of entitlement. Send her away. She's bothering us. And I believe that Jesus actually played along because they had no rights. What they were saying was actually true. They, had, they were not heirs to the covenant promise of Abraham. But Jesus was about to change that. So he was taking this moment and he was showing them, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right, except for that response. That is faith. Gentiles had no they have no, and we have no right to the Abrahamic blessings and, and to, to Jesus except through our faith. We're not justified by works. We're not justified by who our fathers is and who our, what our family name is. Only through faith. She replied, that's true, Lord, but even the dogs are allowed to eat scraps from beneath the table. Mark 7 and 29. Listen to Mark's response. Get this. Here's, here's now, now remember, Mark referenced Peter. Peter was there. Here's what Jesus said according to Mark. He didn't just say, he didn't just say that was, that was, you know, that you had the right response. He said this. Jesus, in exclamation point, said, good answer. It's almost like he'd been waiting on that. When she said, yes, Lord, but, but this, Jesus said, good answer. Like, that's exactly what I was looking for. That was the faith-based answer that I was looking for. Most Gentiles accepted the rejection of the Jews and would not even approach Jesus. They, would, they knew how the Hebrews felt about them, so they, would, they wouldn't have anything to do with each other. This woman knew and risked rejection and would not take no for an answer. She refused to accept the rejection of others. Listen to me. You need to refuse to be affected by the rejection of others because of their opinion of you, because of your upbringing, because of culture or race. None of that can justify us anyway. You know what justifies us? Faith. Faith. This woman's need did not move Jesus. What moved Jesus? What got Jesus to turn around and say, that's what I'm looking for? It wasn't her need. It was her faith. It was this predetermined response to faith. She ignored rejection and responded with faith in Christ and experienced this God moment. Lastly, this woman had to get over not only being offended, not only being rejected, but also she had to get over being deceived. In other words, she had to get past a belief that she had about herself. I'm going to read this verse one more time. She said, Lord, it's true. She said, uh, that's true, Lord, but even dogs are allowed to eat scraps that fall beneath the master's table. Now, here's what bothers me about this. This is very sad to me, that she is okay 
with, with being called a dog. And, and, and not directly, but indirectly, but she's okay with that. That's kind of sad to me, that she's okay with that. You know, as a parent, I, and I don't know what's going on, I don't know what happened. Maybe she was a single mom, and she was all that her daughter had. But it seems like there was something that, you know, maybe, maybe as a parent, you know, she's looking at her daughter and she's thinking, you know, as, as any parent would think, there's nothing or there's no worse feeling than knowing that your child is suffering and there's nothing that you wouldn't do to save or to help your kid. So maybe she's, maybe she's driven by whatever it takes to bring relief to my daughter. Maybe she thinks, you know, I can't, I can't get a steak from the master's table, but maybe I can get a little bit of scraps from underneath the master's table. And sometimes, sometimes I think that the enemy has us so beat down into believing that we're not worthy of what the master has for us. That we're so beat down that, that we believe that, uh, that all we can believe for is scraps from underneath the master's table. You know, can I just tell you something? God's got something better for you than just scraps from underneath the table. You're better than scraps. Look at your neighbor and say, you're better than scraps. I call it thrift store theology. You can't afford God's best, so you're believing for the scraps. You're believing for scraps from under the table. I, I know that there's a season for everything, and I've been wherever you are, I've probably been very, very close to that. There is a season for scraps, but there's also a season for believing for God's best in your life. And I, I think that sometimes we believe what the enemy would have us to believe about ourselves when we go years just believing for scraps, years for scraping the bottom. I want to tell you something. God's got something better for you than scraps. Sometimes scraps sound pretty good, right? Man, don't throw the scraps away. What are you doing? Why are you throwing the scraps away? They look pretty good. Somebody bring me a doggy bag. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes that's all you can believe for is scraps. That's okay for a season. But I want to tell you, God's got something better for you if you'll begin to believe that. I want to tell you, it's time to stop believing for scraps under the master's table because God has got a seat for you at his table. Amen? You know what? If I can, if I can just get a job that just pays the rent, if I can just pay my bills, hashtag scraps. Are you with me? I'm not trying to say that. The, I've been there, okay? Hashtag scraps. Well, if I, you know what? If we, if we can just get enough money this week to buy diapers, hashtag scraps. All right? That's just believing for the scraps. You know what? I'm not dateable. If I could just get a wife, hashtag scraps. God's got somebody special for you. You know what? I, I, don't, I just can't seem to get a man. I'm going I'm to just see what I can. Hashtag scraps. God's got a spiritual leader for your home, woman. Hey, listen, I, I, he's, listen, I know he's abusive to me and he's abusive to the kids, but you know what? He had a rough childhood. Hashtag scraps. God's got something better. He doesn't expect anybody to be abused. He's got something better for you than abused. Hey, you don't, hey, listen, she, you know, I know she, she has affairs and she runs around on me, but she's got a good job. Hashtag scraps. God's got something better for you than unfaithfulness. Amen. And I'm telling you, there's a season for everything, but I want you to believe for God's best. I've been there. 
I've been there in a season of scraps. But when, you, when you're in a season of scraps, get hungry and get scrappy. And believe that God has something better for you. It's time for believing for God's best. Look at your neighbor and say, no more scraps. Look at your neighbor and say, get out from underneath that table. God's got something better for you. Put the scraps down. Today I want you to believe for something better. It's time to stop hoping for a scrap under the master's table and to start believing for a seat at the master's table. Amen? I want to close with this. Jesus did not come to this earth, live his life, give his life, die, be buried, and be raised from the dead so you could have scraps. He came so you could have life, an abundant, blessed life. Not only this life, but the life to come. And if we're not easy, or if we're not careful, we will be easily offended fall for rejection and fall for being deceived and be robbed of the God moments in our lives. But I want to tell you something. If you'll get past being offended, if you'll get past being rejected, and if you'll somehow get past being deceived and believing the lies that the enemy would say and have you believe, God's got his best for you. He's got a, not, not a scrap from under the table, but a seat at the master's table for you. This, this woman was hoping and believing just for a scrap. But what she didn't realize, that through all this, Jesus had a seat for her at the table, just like he does for you, if you'll believe it. So, Heavenly Father, we pray today that we will receive the blessings that you have bestowed on our lives. Help us to get past being offended. Help us to get past being rejected. Help us to get past being deceived, to believe in who you say that we are, what you declare for our lives. Whatever we're faced with today, whatever we're dealing with, whatever season that we're in right now, I pray, Lord, that you will speak to us. Lord, and help us to realize that we are your beloved children. May we never miss one godly moment because we feel offended, rejected, or deceived. In Christ's name. If you're listening to us today, maybe you're here and you're gathered around and you say, Travis, I don't, I don't even know Jesus as Lord and Savior of my life. My friend, I, I really feel like this could be a godly moment in your life. I'd love to lead you in a prayer. Right where you are, seated right in your living room with your friends or with your family. If you'll just repeat this prayer after me, you can come home. You can give your life to Christ for the very first time or you can rededicate your life to Christ. He's not offended when we do that. Just repeat these words after me. Dear Heavenly Father, as I am before you today, I give you my life. I surrender my life to you. Take my life and use it for your cause. I believe in you, Jesus, that you died for me and rose from the dead. And from this moment on, my life is committed to you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for those that are gathered today. And thank you, Lord, for speaking to us by your spirit through your word. 
I pray, Father, that you will bless your church. May we continue to be a beacon in these troubled times. And Father, we pray for our community. We pray for our city. We pray for our state. We pray for our nation. We pray for the leaders of our nation. Lord, that you will give them wisdom and direction. And I pray, Lord, that you will take us through this, this trying time. Protect people from the virus, Lord, and eliminate that, this virus from our nation. In the name of Jesus, we live for you, we serve you, we trust you in this and in all things. In the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. God bless you guys today.